and I'm going to lose some fans. I might get some big strife here, but I think religion plays a big part in that because there's some old scriptures that people haven't adapted to modern society. They pick out the little pieces and that becomes the big focus. Welcome to Let's Get Proximate, the podcast that explores the stories, experiences, and challenges of others so we can learn to innovate, create, and collaborate with lived experiences different from our own. Join hosts Alex Allen and Callie McKee as they explore the power in proximity, leveraging the value of meaningful interactions and insights to disrupt false narratives and foster understanding that leads to real and lasting transformation. Let's dive into the latest episode and learn more about creating an inclusive future for all. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions. With networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more, Cisco helps securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com. Welcome to the Let's Get Proximate podcast. My name is Alex Allen. My pronouns are he, him, and I am a black man. I am brown complected. I have short black hair and I'm the senior director for people in communities and I work in our DE&I space. And we have this podcast series and unfortunately, Callie McKee is unable to make it today. She's under the weather and we're wishing her the best, but for future episodes, my co-host will be here with us, Callie McKee. We wouldn't be able to do this without the sponsorship of our customer and partner experience engineering team. Thank you for always supporting us with these podcasts. And the purpose of the podcast team is this. We dive deep into getting proximate. We're going to talk about how to approach conversations across difference. And we're going to meet a ton of great people and learn about their lived experiences. So this past week, related to highlights from the Proximity Initiative, I want to just share with you a few proximity meetings that I've had. First, I was a proximity participant, and I had the incredible opportunity to have a conversation with Jonathan Davidson. And Jonathan and I got into some deep conversation around our lived experiences. And so it was something that we'll continue to do too. And then from a leader perspective, I had another proximity with a woman who grew up in Hong Kong, but under British Hong Kong which I had no idea that was a part of the Chinese history. And so it was really widened my lens and I learned a lot from her. And I also shared about my lived experiences. We have here my friend, my very good friend, Les Hart. And Les Hart is going to join us on our podcast today. And he's a collaboration customer experience engineer. He's been with Cisco just about three years. He's working with the technical teams, with customers to help them get the best out of their products that they have bought by removing technical barriers for a good end user experience. He's also the lead for the Pride chapter in New Zealand and has an excellent team helping him make change. Les, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Alex. That is Les Hart. I'm here in Melbourne, Australia. I'm a 60s baby, so I'm in my 60s. The white man getting whiter by the day as my hair starts to go gray and disappear. And if you wouldn't mind sharing your pronouns as well, Les. Oh, and yes, definitely he, him. I'm a cisgendered male, I'm quite happy being a male, and I'm a he, him. And let me tell you a little bit, team, as we get into the proximity conversation we're going to have with Les is, I met Les just under a year ago, and he and I were talking about some of the diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives that he's driving 
as well as the work that I'm doing. And we just had a connection. And so we've been meeting on a regular basis ever since then. And I wanted him to come share with you all his lived experience and learn more about us together. So Les, okay. Are you ready to get proximate? I think so. I think so. As ready as I'll ever be. Okay, Les. So we always start with this question. I personally would love our audience to hear your story, how you grew up, how did you become the person you are today, and what are some early influences? And I may ask you some follow-up questions. I thought about this, you know, where do I start with this? Because, you know, my childhood wasn't horrible, but it wasn't the best either. Through some fairly tough times with family, was bullied a bit at school, et cetera, all that horrible stuff. We were pretty poor at one point and we were literally surviving on bread and water. And I mean that in the literal sense. But at the age of 12, my father introduced me to theatre and I met another family and they found that family became my family. And when we start talking about influences, they were a fantastic influence on me and they remain that way. When I was about 19, 20, somewhere around there, I formally changed my name to add theirs to mine. They remain as a part of my family. Now, we're working at the day that's very close to 50 years ago that that happened, so it's amazing. Being theatrical people, their views on life are somewhat different to my family's, my biological family. My older brother from my birth family was quite a bully, and probably 70 years ago we had a deep and meaningful conversation about that, actually, and he didn't even realise what an influence he'd been on my life. So that was quite interesting for me. And we've grown quite close as a result of that conversation. I started my working life as an apprentice when I left school, which was, I didn't finish high school. And I had a choice of two jobs, working in a bank or an apprenticeship. And I chose the apprenticeship and that was in hairdressing. So, (laughs) yeah, quite different to where I am now. I completed that hairdressing and, you know, like, all the symptoms there would have been there that, hey, this is a gay man here, but we're talking about the 70s and 80s here, so you try and conform as much as you can. So at the end of my apprenticeship, I took myself on a trip around the world, learned a few things, had some interesting experiences. I was talking about this the other night, actually. One of my first experiences in New York, walking down 42nd Avenue, and this person came up to me and said, hey, man, do you want to buy some cocaine here? Try before you buy. I think I was 19 at the time, maybe just 20. No. Great experiences. I got a job in the UK. And back in those days, we didn't have email, of course. And I got a letter from a friend of mine telling me that another friend's mother was ill, that her family had got to move back to the east of Australia, and that she'd be there on her own. I thought, oh, that's horrible to go through on your own. I'll fly home. And she said, oh, no, I'm going with them. So... What am I going to do? I hopped in the car with her and drove across Australia to be with her family while I'm going through a tough time. That woman subsequently became the mother of my children and, and my wife. And I say that in that order because we had our first child before we got married. Afterwards, yeah, we should get married sometime. I was actually best man at a, another friend's wedding and just casually said, well, we should get married sometime. No big romantic proposal, no story to tell there. Six weeks later, we got married. We had two more children. And as I said before, it was kind of me trying to conform with society's expectations of what you should be. We were living in a small mining town at that point because that's where she was when we got together. 
And we make them all the happy years. You know? I love my children beyond anything. I say children, they're in their late 30s now, so it's no children anymore. But I knew that relationship wasn't right for me. But I also knew that I wasn't ready to leave the kids with her. Now, that might sound harsh. It probably does. But I knew that wasn't right. But I also knew with the laws in Australia as a, as a single dad, and particularly you know, coming out as gay at that point, I wouldn't have got the kids. And the kids were important. So I stayed until my youngest was 18. He was on exchange in Japan at the time. And I remember that feeling building up inside me thinking, you know, I'm going to be at this point where I feel like I can let go. I was also directing a play at the time. That's another thing I do in my spare time and I have some spare time. And the play itself was quite significant to a lot of people who were in it. The play was called Speaking in Tongues. And I don't know if you ever saw the movie called Lantana, Australian movie. I have not seen uh, that. It's great. Lots of intermixed stories. Anyway, so I made that decision to leave the family and, I don't know, begin my journey. It was tough for a few years because the way things happened with the ex-wife and what she'd said to the kids, which was not right. But subsequent to that, closer to my kids than ever before. So, Les, I want to come back to something, if you don't mind. Sure. Just a couple areas where I'd love to ask you just a few follow-up questions. Did you say that you changed your name? Yeah. Why and how and, you know, what was that like? So my birth name is Morley. My official name now is Morley Hart. So if you ever see my username, you'll see it's Morley H. Most people know me as Les Hart. Those who have known me for a long time know me as Les Morley. Those who know me officially know me as Les Morley Hart. So Morley was the name I was born with. Hart was the family that I became a part of. So, Les, I think I owe you an apology. Why? Because I should be honoring your full self by calling you no, that's fine. Les no. Morley Hart. That's a mouthful, isn't it, really? <laughs> if that's who you are, I want to make sure that I honor that. It's actually interesting. Because I was estranged from my family and this other family became my family, and I wanted to honor them by taking on their name before my first son was born. And I had to get their permission. I had to get their written permission. Now, I never saw what they wrote because I went straight to the courts. But obviously, they accepted, which is why, you know, I still call him dad to this day. You know, he's 86 shortly, but I still call him dad. So it was something that I adopted the name before I formally changed. So for some years, people had known me as Les Hart anyway. So I just formally did it, as I said, before my son was born. And it's remained that way. Now... That same brother I mentioned before that bullied me that came up because he said to me, look, you know, why don't you change your name back? Why did you change your name? And that's when I said to him, well, you were a big part of the reason. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, because you were so horrible to me. You were such a bully. But I didn't want to be part of that family. Wow. It knocked him for six. I don't think he'd be last. It was a really good conversation. So... uh, I'm glad I had that conversation. I'm glad they had the opportunity for that conversation. And as I said, we know we've grown quite close now, so it's good. It's funny how things change perspective as you get older. I subscribe to that as well. I want to come back to another thing you mentioned. Your children and your ex-wife, you talked about, could you describe your family situation before you, and you called it before I let go. And so I loved for you to talk. And you also mentioned how in Australia, the laws related to you being a single father 
I'd love to break down those three areas, if you don't mind, for me. Yeah. So, yes, my wife, I have three sons, all born within three years because the last one came 16 weeks early. He was tiny. What my girlfriend slash later wife had said was that she couldn't carry children, so we weren't particularly cautious, and clearly that was not quite correct. When I talk about letting go, you know, I felt like I had done the job of getting my children to the point where they are adults in their own right. And I could let go of having to stay in that relationship that I wasn't happy. A funny, well, maybe funny, maybe not funny. It depends on how you interpret this. But when it came up to our 10th wedding anniversary, my wife said to me, do you want to renew wedding vows? And I went, no. She looked at me and said, why not? And I said, I've made the mistake once. I don't want to do it twice. So things were not good. I mean. And that was while you were married. That's while we were married. Yes. That was. 10 years before we broke up, and we would think we were married for 20, nearly 21 years. Interesting conversation, actually, because my niece recently got engaged and we were celebrating that. And I was having a conversation with somebody and they were asking me something similar. And they actually asked me when I knew I was gay. And I said, I think I always knew, but as I mentioned before, you try to stick to society's expectations, you know, the wife, the kids, the whole kit and caboodle. So I knew that picture wasn't right for me. And at the 10-year mark, I thought, I know it's not right, but I'm going to honour what I said about my kids. What I didn't realise was that my middle son was stood right behind me as I said this. And I turned around to him and he said, nothing shocks me anymore. <laughs> so he was fine with it. So I guess what I'm saying there, Alex, is that at that point, I knew that I shouldn't be in that relationship. I knew that it wasn't right for me. But I also knew what I felt about my kids. And people have asked me if I do, if I get married again, if I go through that process again. And I said I would if I knew I was going to get the kids again, same kids, and especially so if the laws were a bit different. You know, if I thought for one moment there'd be a chance of the father getting the kids and not the mother, the laws here do favour the mother, even still as far as I know, I might be wrong now, I would have taken the kids earlier. It would have been a very different life for all of us. There's a lot more behind that story. Yeah, it would have been a very different life to what I've had. I've been had a very fortunate life since, I mean, since that relationship broke down. I did meet somebody else. I mentioned before I was in theatre, so I met this guy through the theatre. And it's interesting because when we first met, like, you know, full confession, he was 20 years younger than me. It was very flattering to have you know, someone that young showing interest, but it wasn't how it happened initially. When I initially met him, I was directing a play and he wanted to be involved. And I said, look, I, you're too young for what I need, but come down, I'll find you something to do. And he, seeing a songwriter, I said, all right, you can do the music for the show. Did a very good job. He was in a relationship. I was still married. He was Portuguese born, but living in Australia. His parents were back in Portugal. He was having troubles with his relationship. I thought I'd become the father figure, quite honestly. I thought that was my role. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that it developed beyond that. And I never expected that to last. Again, you know, 20 years difference. 10 years later, we got married. And then sadly, three years later, separated. Yeah. Long story there too. But I guess, you know, beyond just him, my life changed because the company I worked for previously, BHP, my boss invited me back to BHP and said, would you like to go and live overseas? And, you know, that relationship was fresh. The marriage was, divorce was still all going through. It was a pretty tough time mentally. 
I went, yep, okay. <laughs> and he said, I don't know where yet. It could be South America or it could be South Africa. I went, okay. So months later, I ended up in actually Mozambique initially because it was a tough time getting a passport or a visa rather for South Africa. It took 12 months. So I had some great experiences in Africa, which I never would have done had I remained married. And then I moved from there to Singapore. I spent five years in Singapore. So different cultures, different experiences, you know, great group of people everywhere. One of the joys of living in different countries is the network for, you know, this is going to sound creepy, but it's not. I trust you. I trust you less. I deem myself a people collector. So if you come into my life, you stay in my life, unless you do the wrong thing. Ooh, so I have- That's deep. <laughs> that's deep. Yeah. That's deep. And I've got friends scattered around the world as a result of that. I love that. So Les, let me come back to really another question here. How has your lived experience shaped who you are? Because you mentioned Singapore, you mentioned Africa, you mentioned Australia, you mentioned a partner who was from Portugal, you know, so you've, you were married to a woman, then a man, you know, so it's, you've had a plethora of lived experiences. How's that shaped you? I think it's just made me totally appreciate the people in my life and understanding a little about the cultures in the different countries. I'm not saying I'm an expert, but an appreciation of that. It's one of the, it's one of the things that drives me for pride too, because in some of those countries, it's not legal to be gay or certainly not socially accepted, even if it's legal. To an extent, that's still true here. You know, even though it's legal, it's still not 100% socially accepted. I'm, sometimes you'll hear me harp back about theatre, but I'm involved in a show at the moment and it's called Jumpers for Goalpost. It's about an LGBT five-a-side soccer team in the UK. It's a comedy. It's got some, you know, lovely life moments. But I was there the other night seeing people out in the theatre and I said to this woman who was probably, I don't know, in her 80s, I said, did you enjoy the show? She said, well, not really my thing. I said, oh, really? Okay. I said, but there's some good stories in there, isn't there? She went, there's some stuff to think about. So, you know, again, social acceptance, legal acceptance, two very different things. It was <laughs> shaped experiences. When I first moved to Africa, it was a two-year assignment and he stayed behind in Australia because he was building a house, et cetera. Two years later, they were going to extend me for another two years. So I said, come and join me. And you're talking about your partner at the time. Yes. Subsequently, my husband. Yes. At that time, I was spending two weeks in Mozambique and then two weeks in South Africa, backwards and forwards on some projects. And we were going backwards and forwards. He was coming with me. We were driving. It was a nice drive. We were coming back into South Africa one time and the guy said, you've been coming in too much. You, you can't do that. And I said, well, I thought we were leaving the country and we could refresh the visa. He said, no, you have to leave the continent. And I said, well, it's my partner. Because in South Africa, it was, it was legal to be married as a gay couple in South Africa. So he said, well, let you in, but you have to go to Home Affairs and sort it out. The immigration department, you know. So we went there. And this was one of those moments where society's questionings are interesting because as we went through the process, she said, I have to ask you this, which one's the man and which one's the woman? We both looked at her and went, depends on what day it is. And she laughed, you know. But <laughs> it's those societal expectations that there's going to be that one of each. It was funny. So you had to assimilate to the expectation of society in that culture, per se. Yes. I can relate deeply to that. 
being black in America, that need to code switch, that need to be accepted, you know, I can relate to that deeply. I guess, yeah, one of the differences that people don't say to you, when did you choose to be black? When did you realize you were black? Well, they might say that to you. I don't know. You know, they might have said, when did you realize you needed to act black? They might ask me that. They would ask me that, but no, please with your example there. Cause I think you're on to some, go ahead. No, I was going to say, right? you know, when we start talking about those situations, we as adults need to watch children. Children don't care. Children will play with anybody, talk to anybody. As adults, we need to learn that. As a society, we need to learn that. You know, any form of prejudice, doesn't matter whether it's color, religious, whatever it is, is a learned thing. Mm. We need to start learning that. Question for you. This is going to be a little nuanced, I know. Related to, let's call it the prioritization of the many identities that, you know, that you carry and that you had over time. Has the prioritization shifted? So you were a father, you were, you know, you were married, you were divorced, you had kids, you know, has that shifted the prioritization or is there a prioritization? There may not be. I'm just curious. I think, and you'll know this, once you have children, they become the priority, you know, and your life changes entirely and you can never change that back. Because I said, even though mine are in their late thirties, one's 40 later this year, they'll always be the priority. When I got together with my ex-partner, I said to him in the beginning, children will always be the first priority. But now that I'm single again, I would say my priority has changed a little bit and I'm thinking a little bit more about me and my experiences. You know? Come on, let's, let's go, let's go. Exactly. You know, my son said to me, dad, you like being in a relationship? And I said, actually, I'm enjoying being who I am, doing whatever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want, without having somebody else to answer to or to negotiate with or to consider it's just nice for a change. You know, I mean, I'm in my 60s, as I said, and I don't know how much longer this little journey is going to be, but I'm just taking some time for me. So, yes, it's definitely changed. Unless I have to ask this question, and I'm sorry because I have two children too. I'm making this up a little bit. For somewhat of a 10-year period while you were married to your wife, you wanted to keep the – it felt like you wanted to keep the family together. So – I would love for you to just unpack for me what you were going through during that time, knowing that you were a gay man and being in a, let's call it a married to a woman and, you know, having your children. I also connect with that related to the personal priority of children or family. How do you do that? How do you do that for, you know, for upwards of 10 years? I think I still do this now to an extent, but I think I, throw myself into so much that I just keep going. At that point, I was studying. You know, I said I didn't finish high school, but I actually did a degree later in life. I figured that since you were at Cisco, Les. (laughs) I got into IT by accident. That's probably not the right word, but we'll come back to that one. But I was also running a theatre company. So I started a little theatre company in this little town I was in and ran that for 10 years more. My children will tell you they've got memories of when there's a show and they'd be out in the little room at the back with their stacks and their sleeping bags because we'd both be down in the theatre. So I kept myself occupied is the best way to put it. To me, the theatre was the artistic outlet too. You know, the hairdressing, not, well, hairdressing still comes to it sometimes, but that was a creative outlet. 
the theatre was a creative outlet. My ex-wife was an artist, so she had her creative outlet separate. I just kept myself occupied. And I'll be honest, Alex, you know, that was for that last 10 years, it was playing on my mind a lot. And I was almost mm. doing a character in my head, which is why when my younger son was turning 18, it was really, and my ex-wife picked up and said, what's going on? And uh, yeah, that's where it fell apart. So this was a secret from your wife at the time. Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah. How I felt about that. Yes. She, I mean, she knew when we first met, but I'd already been with guys too. I mean, I met her through her ex-boyfriend. I won't go there for that story, but anyway, who I met through, <laughs> sorry, too much in the way. And I met him through a girl that I went to drama lessons. Yeah. Right. Who subsequently became my sister-in-law. I got another question for us. In your experience, what are the most impactful barriers to the LBGTQ plus community or within Cisco, our pride community? What are the most impactful barriers that you experience today? I mentioned before that we learn prejudices. I mentioned before that although something might be legal, doesn't make it socially accepted. And I'm going to lose some fans. I might get some big strife here, but I think religion plays a big part in that because of some old scriptures that people haven't adapted to modern society and they pick out the little pieces and that becomes the big focus. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get in trouble for saying that, but I do think religion has a big part to play in modern society and modern society's prejudices. Within Cisco, I think, certainly from my experience, and as, as you said, it's only been less than three years, they have been quite warm and welcoming for me. Is that true in every one of our countries? Absolutely not. We know it's not. So I think the biggest barrier at Cisco is us being able to have the funds and the resources to say, what can we do for our people in those countries where it's not so easy? You know, I spent some time with the guys in Singapore. They're trying to start their pride chapter. They started it now. And they were nervous for all those reasons I mentioned before, how it was perceived as illegal in Singapore and certainly still frowned upon society-wise. So it's giving our own people a safe space within Cisco is a great thing to do. Yeah. And for that, we need the resources. And those resources might be people, some funding, some commitment. You know, we talked, I keep saying, Cisco's great at talking the talk, and I think they've walked the walk much better than the previous employer I worked with. They talked the talk, but it was much harder to make things happen. I joined the Pride Group pretty quickly, and you know me, Alex, I'm pretty open and I'm pretty vocal about things, and ended up being the chapter lead pretty quickly after getting in there. Timing was right. You know, I felt to an extent like I thought the previous leader might feel like I pushed him out and pushed them out. And I've gone back to a couple of times to make sure that was never my intention. I normally feel more comfortable being behind the scenes to make things happen. This is not a comfort zone for me, to be honest. I like to make things happen, but I'm happy to do it in the background. We did our World Pride event in February and I made one of my executive sponsors be the MC, the moderator for that session. And a few people said to me, why aren't you doing it? I said, I'm happy to sit in the background, get the story out there, but I don't need to be in the front at all. So Cisco is great at helping me do that. There's a lot more we could do, we can do, we will do. We're working, you know, I said in the intro there, I've got a great team behind me, and I do. And their focus at the moment is on a gender affirmation policy, which we're trying to put in place for Australia New Zealand, but see it as a foundation for the rest of Cisco with a for the countries where things have to change. You know, it's things like that are making 
those minority minorities feel safe at Cisco. But sectionality, where, you know, whatever that is, if we can do that, then we're doing something great. If we can do that for our people. That's great. You can do that as an example to the wider technology communities. To, you know, Cisco's a, a global brand. As you said, we've got presence in over 100 countries. One thing I'd love to see us do, Alex, at some point, is get involved in World Pride. World Pride is in a different country every two years. We've got presence in a lot of countries. It's run by an organization called Interpride. It's like the IOC for World Pride. Get involved at that level. See what we can do for that messaging. I think that'd be great. Aspirational targets, you've got to have them, right? It is, it is. And I know you and I have talked about World Pride in the past. We're going to get to the next round, which is somewhat of a lightning round. I'm going to ask you five questions and I want you to answer these questions as quickly as you can. They don't need to be one word answers less. So right here, right now, in this moment, who's at your kitchen table with whom you laugh, cry, share, and process things with? Who's there? One of my dearest friends, Donna. Donna and I met in Singapore. We're working there together. We've traveled together. We've been through each other's breakups and tough times. She is my go-to person when I'm thinking about things I'd like to do, and she puts me on the straight and narrow, no pun intended there either. She's got a boat. We go sailing. I'm actually, the house I live in is actually hers. I rent it from her. She is my go-to for everything. I said before I have, I'm a people collector, and I sometimes I'll reach out to my ex-husband for, you know, to see how he's doing. But I'll talk to her and she'll say, no, don't do that. Because if he wanted you involved, he would have reached out to you. That's great. Great advice. Definitely. Yeah. I can trust her implicitly with everything. She knows everything. That's great. She keeps telling me I should write a book. Well, the things that I've told her. That's right. I would co-sign on that. I would co-sign on that <laughs> for you. Okay, Les, next question. What is one identity or experience to which you need to get more proximate to for yourself? One identity or experience. That's a tough one, actually. I would, you know, I'd like to spend some time with Gloria to see her picture of this for Cisco. So Gloria Goins is our new chief diversity officer, chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer at Cisco. She will be on this podcast. We will have her on this podcast. Good. Um, so yes, maybe we can work it out where you can meet her less. Yes. Yeah, I'd like to see what her plans are for Cisco. Yeah. Because that'll help drive what we do here. And it should help what we drive. What would you like to leave our audience with today? Reach out to somebody. You know, don't think you can say the wrong thing. As long as you ask the question respectfully, no one will ever be offended. So don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to get proximate. Don't be afraid to go and chat to somebody, you know. And don't be afraid to stand up for those people you meet. A lot of prejudice is learned, but some of it's fear too. And if you get the knowledge, the fear disappears. Repeat that for us. A lot of prejudice is is fear, but if you get the knowledge, the fear disappears. 100%. Like being afraid of the dark, isn't it? If you, once you know what's there, it's no longer scary. I mentioned before my brother, right? That's, he now calls himself a recovering homophobic. Is that because he was proximate to you? Correct. What do you attribute that to? Or what does he attribute that to? Learning. That I've given him that awareness, that education. 
But I've taken away that fear that, that I'm something scary. Everybody's just people. Again, my creepy people collector comment. I wouldn't call that creepy. I would call that expanding your connections, expanding your perspective. I think that's the one big takeaway that I'm learning from you is let's expand our perspective. Let's not have fear of the conversation. Having the conversation across difference will enlighten us. It will provide us with a perspective that will allow us to grow as leaders and human beings. So that's my one takeaway. And Les, thank you. Thank you so very much for coming on the podcast. So appreciate your authenticity, your openness to share. We could have two of these with you because we could dive into all of your identities, all your lived experiences, oh, yeah. and we could really fill up some time. So let me know if I can help you with your book that you're going to write someday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the stories. We won't go there now, but yeah, some of them are yeah. silly and crazy, like you know, hitchhiking across Australia when I was 20 things like that, things you'd never do these days. You know, when, when you're having a conversation, just something pops up and you think, oh, I remember when I did the dollar goes, got to write it down. Thank you for the invitation to do this with you. Anytime, and you know that door is wide open, and audience and team that's listening to this, you know, hopefully there were three or four or maybe a half dozen things that will expand your perspective. Thank you again, Les Hart. Now, everyone, go get proximate. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Proximate podcast powered by Cisco. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Let's dive into the latest episode and learn more about creating an inclusive future for all. This episode is brought to you by Cisco, an industry leader in technology innovations and solutions. With networking, security, collaboration, cloud management, and more, Cisco helps securely connect industries and communities, creating the bridge to possible. Find out more at www.cisco.com.